Well, got a phrase for you. Got a phrase for you. Tell me if you've ever heard it. Trust the process. Have you ever heard that phrase? Anybody? Trust the process. And trust the process is uh, oftentimes one of those things where you say it because there's going to be some bumps and bruises along the way. So just trust the process. Be patient. Give us some time. The um, pathetic Philadelphia 76ers back about 10 years ago, even longer than that, started that as their team motto. Trust the process. Anybody a 76er fan? I'm not because I was always a Celtics fan when I was growing up. But here it's like we don't even have a basketball team in Louisiana. It's um, what? Pel the what? The Pelicans. That's a basketball team? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You don't even have a basketball team in here in Louisiana. So, so anyway, the 76ers brought on this motto, and it was trust the process. And they said that because every year their draft picks would come in, and they were terrible. And the ownership, instead of getting firing the people in charge, they, they came up with this slogan of just trust the process. We're going to build it from the ground up, and we are going to be highly successful. And for the last 15 years, I think they made the playoffs maybe last year for the first time, and I'm not even sure. But anyway, the process there didn't work. But I love to say, trust the process. God, at one point, says, trust the process. And it's in Philippians. And if you've been with us on Wednesday night, we've been going through the book of Philippians. And today, we're going to take the first few chapters and we're kind of going to hit the highlights of all this stuff, culminate them together. And if I don't always title my messages, but if I do, I would call this one Trust the Process. So we're going to be in Philippians and we're going to start in chapter 1 and then we're going to go through some other stuff from there. So Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Trust that process. Chapter 1, verse 6. Here's what Paul writes. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to the process that you unfold in our lives. Open our ears. Father, we ask that you will keep us mindful of that work that you started in us and how you're faithful. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, leave your Bibles open there because we're going to be back in them. How many people have your Bibles? I remember about a month ago I said, raise them up if you got them. If you got them, hold them up. Oh, man, I'm going to have to start putting them on the screen. Y'all hit the 50% mark. All right, next Sunday we will have the passage on the screen. Man, that means I'm going to have to be prepared more than five minutes before I preach. But I'm <laughs> just kidding. Oh, man. So as we look here, Paul says, you're confident of this thing, that he who has begun a good work in you. Who started the work in you? He. God, God started that work in you. Did you start that good work on your own? No. A lot of times we 
drive in and you don't. He starts it. He's the one that draws you. He's the one that calls you. He's the one that starts it in you. If it's of you, it's not going to last. He'll see it through. Okay, he starts it and he will see it through. That means are, are you going to see it through to the completion? No. He starts it. He sees it through. I want you to think about that. Does that mean you have to keep trying to keep it, to keep that good work going? No. It means it is a done deal. It was sealed is what it says in Ephesians. The Holy Spirit was on you and sealed you, meaning it covers you. Now, if he starts it and he finishes it, what do you have to do with it? All you can do is step back and watch it unfold and let it happen. All right? No amount of efforts are going to make God work any harder and faster in you and make it complete faster. Can't do that. Yet there are folks out there that will tell you, you need to try harder, you need to make sure you keep it, you got to make sure you don't lose it. We're talking about salvation. The salvation that comes from God, that He gives to you, that He keeps in you. That good work that He keeps going in you, and He's going to see it through until you're dead or until He returns. Now, that's the beginning. That's where we get the whole trust the process. Because if God is the one who starts it in you, and God is good, can you trust Him? Yeah. And it's the process that He is starting in you, and in a sense, the rest of Philippians unfolds that process. So we're going to be going through multiple passages here in Philippians to show you that process that is unfolding in you, and the way that you can expect it to unfold and then the things you are to do now you can't keep it you can't earn it but all we can do like i said is be obedient watch it unfold join up with him as he works it out in you so that's what we're going to do we're going to trust the process and here's what the process does and here's what god wants to see within us i tell people you can think of it this way it's 100% God, and it's your job to have 100% you to go along with it. When you kick against it, things start happening in your life that aren't always great. You start being robbed of joy. You start having more anger. You start having more bitterness because the process that's unfolding in you is of God. And at that point, you're wanting to be more of you. First thing you can do, 2, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. Therefore, if any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord in one mind. Chapter 1 talks about being unified as well. If you want to be a part of this process and embrace this process as it's being worked out in you, 
You are to be of one mind and one accord as the church. <sighs> That's hard to do. One mind, one accord. How can you be single-minded with the people in this room? Go, turn around, look at everybody. Everybody ugly one another. I mean, look at one another. <laughs> Go around, just look at them. Look at them. I want you to look at everyone. Some of y'all are so stiff-necked and rigid. You're not like, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to. I will not. I will not follow it. Look around. Look around. Turn your necks. Let me see. Let me see if it moves. Unless you're in a neck brace. Right? Those folks are to be single-minded with you or you are to be single-minded with them. Think about that. Think about that. How do you become single-minded with folks that you kind of know? Folks that you may know a history on. I mean, let's face it, some of y'all ain't squeaky clean. I'm one of them. Right? Let's think about that. So what is going to be the thing that brings us unity as a body of believers? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit working within us in the gospel. That's what works in us, around us, and through us to get us in one mind, in one accord. So how do we do that? Well, I'm going to start with this thing. This, in this book, is where we need to meet on, and that's why we get together on Sundays, so that the preacher can preach the word to you. You can look at it and go, man. I want to be in Christ. I want to be biblical with my life. And the more people that say they want to be biblical, guess what we start doing? We start becoming unified in our motivations. And our hearts are unified. And when our hearts are unified, you know what happens? The process is being worked out within us. One mind, one accord. We can move forward in our salvation because we know that the foundation has been laid of a brotherhood and a sisterhood of believers. Because when you fall, right? When you fall, it's easy to get back up with help. Did you ever fall down and get embarrassed? And you bounce up? Believe it or not, there's a woman who has fallen at this church multiple times, and we have backed up the footage and watched it and laughed. With her, of course. We weren't doing it with that. And the, when you hit the ground, you hit the ground, and what happens? You bounce up, and immediately you do this. Because you're embarrassed. How often do people in the Christian faith hit the ground, bounce up out of embarrassment, out of, oh, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't, and they walk like nothing happened. In the meantime, they're, they're limping and their knees are all skin up, their hands are all skin up, they got a black eye, right? Look like they've been in a fight. How often does that happen? Because we don't let Others within the church be unified with us. We get caught walking on our own and we bounce up. But imagine.
do other than get out their phone and record you. Trying to get up. They help you up, right? They help you up. Imagine if we were so unified that we trusted one another, believed that we all believed the same thing, and we move forward. When you fell, you would get back up because someone would lift you up. That's being unified. Unification, one mind, one accord, there for one another, loving one another. That's the first part of the process. The second part, so the first part is be united in Christ. The second part is have the humility of Christ. In verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. That takes a level of humility and love and generosity. I know in our house, if there's no food to be had, you know, or if there's no food, we're poor, I need a raise. No. When we have a meal and there's not going to be enough, who sits out of that meal? Mom or dad or the kids? Which one? The mother's always the most self-sacrificing one. No, 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 y'all eat, y'all eat, you need it, you need it. You can have it. Who's next? The dad, typically. No, 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 you kids eat. Why? Because we consider others better than ourselves. And I would rather them eat than me eat. If we have that attitude... In all things, with all people within the church, what would it look like? I mean, that would be mind-blowing. Not just the church, but the world. But if we could just start in the church, and if everybody was as important as the guy with two thumbs, you know who that guy is? This guy, right here. If everybody was as important as me, and I treated him that way, y'all would realize how much I love you. If you treated everyone the way you treat your husband or your kids or your mom or your dad, then everyone would look at you and be like, man, she is a great lover of people. He is a phenomenal man who cares deeply about people. And you would have that takes humility to do that. You have to be willing to give of yourself generously and make yourself nothing. And then the next verses that Paul is writing, he's talking about Jesus and his humility and what he did. Verse 5, Paul says, let this mind be in you. Remember, if we're of one mind and one of court, he now says, let this mind be in you. This is the one mind that we are to have. Verse 6 says, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Jesus is equal with God. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a body. 
bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Jesus took the form of a servant. I want you to think about that. Equal with God comes as a man in the form of a servant. And verse 8 says, In being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself, okay, and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You understand this? The God of glory, Jesus, equal with God, triune God, the Trinity God, Father, Son, and Spirit, Jesus the Son says, I'm going to wrap myself in flesh, go down as a man, and I'm going to be obedient in giving of myself. And I'm going to be obedient even to the point of death on a cross, which was brutal, wicked, brutal. That's Yankee coming out of me. Nails that hit the nerves between the radius and the ulna in your wrist, and it creates such pain and nails through your feet through the bones, so it presses on the nerves, so it creates pain. And as you hang there, you literally start suffocating because you cannot breathe because of the congestive heart failure and the fluids building up in your lungs. And the only way you can take a breath is to pull yourself up, straighten out your back to open up your lungs. And every time you do, it creates more pain and hurt and pressure on your feet and on your wrists. Shooting pain right through your arms all the way up in your shoulders. And you're going to do that every single breath after a little while. And the God of creation did that for you, for me. He humbled himself. And that's the humility, that's the mind we are to have for one another. Which blows my mind away that I could even think that he did it for me. The king of kings who had everything chose wicked, sinful creation to dwell in, to make right, so that they could have a relationship with us. That kind of love blows me away. We see that Christ-likeness come out through that humility. If you want to be hu humble, <laughs> if you want to be humble, you need to let that work from you. The next thing we're to do is we are to work our mission for Christ. And we're not saved by works, but we are saved to do good works. That he prepared for us before the creation of the world is what the Bible teaches us. And we're not saved by our works, but we're saved by his grace, which is what Ephesians tells us. And right here, if you keep reading in verse 12 of chapter 2, you see, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, 
For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So the next part of the process is work with Christ on the mission in your life. What are the good works that he wants you to accomplish? That he's prepared for you? That he set aside for you? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. A lot of people say, well, this means you have to work to get your salvation. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He works in you for his will and good pleasure. So what is he talking about? Work it out in fear and trembling. Literally meaning work out your salvation. The salvation that is apparent inwardly needs to work from within outwardly. Well, what does that look like? It looks like loving people. It looks like putting others above yourself. It looks like thinking of others in their interests over your own. It looks like the stuff Paul's already talked about. It looks like being unified with one mind and one accord. Being unified through the word of God. Work out your salvation. What happens when you don't work out your salvation and it stays inside of you? You get loaded Christians. If his joy and love is supposed, y'all heard the term bubbling out of you? If that just stays in you, just think of that. You become this loaded Christian that doesn't do the work that Christ has called you to do. You don't follow in obedience what he commands us to do, what he tells us to do. We don't yoke up with him and further his kingdom, plowing it for the, for the cause of Christ. But all we do is we sit there and we bask in how good God is and how great he is. And we don't have that fellowship with others. And we don't do anything else. And we just become puffed up. And what happens? We become puffed up with pride. Which is a major problem within Christianity. Paul's actually going to hit it next. He says... Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why fear? Why trembling? Because the gift was so great that it has been given you and it has such value from the creator of all things that when we take a gift that someone has given you, his most precious gift, the relationship that he had with his son, and he gives that to you, and you just go, yeah, great. Throw it in the back of the closet. Stuff it in the attic. I'll get to it when I get to it. Imagine if that's the attitude that we had. If I gave you the most valuable thing in the world that you knew was precious and dear to me, if you had any respect for me, would, would you take it and be like, oh yeah, here, throw it in the back seat. I'll take it home and I'll take care of it. No, you would act like you have care for it. Even dogs know this. 
We got little stupid dogs in the house. No, oh, Lainey's not in here. God has given us that gift and we need to, to have it and hold it in that fear and in that trembling, understanding how valuable it is. So in trusting the prophet, yeah, the process, we're to be united in Christ, have the humility of Christ, work out our mission for Christ and be aware of false doctrine against Christ. Chapter 3, we see that we are not to have any confidence in the flesh. We are to beware of dogs, verse 2, beware of dogs, of evil workers, beware of the mutilation, which is legalism. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4 says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence, I do more so. And Paul goes on this, this list, basically his resume of how righteous he was according to the law and according to Jewish tradition. But I want you to realize something. Confidence in the flesh is the worst doctrine you can have against God, against Christ. Because what you're saying is, I've got this. You want to know why you can't keep your salvation? Because you would, have, you would lose it. Every moment of the day. You would lose your salvation if you had to hold on to it and keep it. Because of the pride that enters our hearts and our minds. You can't earn it. You can't keep it. He does that. It's part of his process. But if you will defend yourself from the false doctrines out there. The false doctrines of pride that says, oh, you got to try to keep it. Oh, it's all Jesus to get saved, and then it's all you to keep it. When you listen to that, and you believe that, it's a pride that works in, because how are you going to keep that gift? Stainless, spotless, precious, and holy. 
You can't. Just like that example I gave to you, if I, if I gave something precious to you, you can't keep it holy. But what if I made a way to keep it holy? If I put a seal on it and a covering over it so that it could never be crushed, destroyed, or lost. A little tracking device in it. So that no matter where it went, I, the owner of it, the keeper of it, the master of it, always knew where it was. Even though I entrusted it to you, there's nothing you can do to lose it. Now, this false doctrine pops up in places. In churches today, with the me, my, and I trinity. It's the unholy trinity of me, my, and I. I did this. That's my church. That's what I did at that church. I did this, and I did that, and I did this. In me, my, and I, and everything spiritual is a sign that someone is worshiping the unholy trinity. That is ultimately what brings people outside of the single-mindedness and becomes an issue in a thorn in the side of the bride of Christ. Me, my, and I. So listen to your conversations with other believers. And when you start hearing me, my, and I, lovingly let them know. Is this God's church or your church? Is that God's Sunday school class or your Sunday school class? Is that God's family or your family? So often I catch myself. It's early in the morning, Joe's on his way to school, or I know Nikki's driving somewhere, and I'm just like, Lord, please take care of my kids. And it's like, oh, a knife hits me. Correction, Tony. Those aren't your kids. Those are my kids. Correction, Tony, that's not only your wife, but that's my wife. That's my bride. And she's also my daughter. And I love her more than you could ever imagine. And when my mindset becomes that, I go, whoa. And I realize what God has truly given me and blessed me with. It's not me, my, and I. It's, Lord, everything I have comes from you because you are the giver of all things that are good. That unholy doctrine of pride and of work in the flesh. The next thing, y'all, this is a 27-point sermon, by the way, so it might be a while. No, I'm just kidding. The next thing is keep moving forward toward your new home. 3, 14. Chapter 3, verse 14. He says this. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything... You think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. 
Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. And brethren, join in following my example and note those who walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often now and even more weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their name, is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. And here's the big part of it. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. When you are caught up in the flesh and the things of this world, pride hits you. Selfishness gets you. But when you look to where you are going, you press forward to where you're going. How many people know that heaven is better than here on earth? The here and now. Most of you good. <laughs> when you understand that moving towards eternal life in Christ, even now, when you are moving step by step, day by day, closer to Him, the light becomes brighter. And things get better. And your eternal home is there, not here. You're just passing through here. How many of y'all know that gas station by Defuniac Springs on Interstate 10 down in Florida? Any of y'all know there? What? You don't know? Why don't you know that? Because I don't live there. That's what you say. Because I don't go through there. Every now and then I go that way. I've heard the name Defuniac Springs, but other than that, I don't know anything about it. Why? Because that's not your home. But if I talk to you about the intersection of Highway 2 and 17, you know exactly where I'm talking about. Because that's home. Imagine if we knew the home that we're going to better than the home that we're in now. Imagine if we concerned ourselves with the home that we're going to more than the home that we're in now. Your eternal destination. Imagine that. But no, what do we do? We live for the stuff here and now. The boats, the four-wheelers, the, the hunting rifles, the, the sewing machines, the, the swimming pools, the vacations. The new Tahoe, all that kind of stuff. That's what we get excited about. Not the things that have an eternal impact. We keep moving forward to our home with Christ. We don't cling to the old one. And then the last thing in chapter 4, the Bible tells us to have your mind on the things of Christ. Have your mind on the things of Christ. How many of you have your mind and dwell and focus on the things of this world? Probably a lot of us. Can tell by what you watch on Netflix. Can tell by what you watch on Amazon or Apple TV or 
cable. You will spend time in front of what matters most to you. The TV, the phone, the iPad, whatever it is, that's what matters most to you. If I went to your house on a Thursday night at 9 o'clock if you're awake, would I see this? Or would there be a TV in front of your face? I'm not saying you can't watch any TV. But when you watch TV, are you making spiritual applications? When you're watching TV, are you saying, man, look at how simple humanity is and where they're going? Or do you just watch it and get entertained by it? I lost count after the 18th cuss word in the first five minutes. Paul says, dwell on what is good and pure and lovely and holy. He says that in verse 8 of chapter 4. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You hop in your car and you'll drive out of here. What do you listen to? You want to know what I love when people say? I got the audio Bible in my car. That's all I listen to. That warms my heart because you're a Bible nerd like me. Some people go, oh, I listen to AFR, American Family Radio, and I listen to them, and they have snippets of preachers and Christian music on there, and I listen to that, and I love that. Good. Then there's some people who listen to, I don't know, who's a good honky-tonk singer? Stephanie, who's a good honky tonk? <laughs> I figured you played for him. <laughs> what? I listen to ACDC in the car. I like to rock out. I listen to Pitbull. I listen to Hank Williams Jr., Conway Twitty. What was Conway Twitty gospel? No, he not. Leonard Skinner, right? Some of y'all, that's what you listen to in the car, and you're like, and then you come to the church, and you don't know the songs that we sing here. Yet the lyrics are good and pure and holy and lovely and pure and true. A good report. Imagine if Jesus could pull up your playlist and listen to what you listen to in the car. Is he going to listen to news radio? It's like, yeah, I'm solving over that. Is he going to listen to, to songs about how you want to get drunk and your dog just died and all that stuff and you're going to have a beer with Jesus? Is he going to listen to that with you? He's like, buddy, wine, we'll talk about beer. Uh -huh. <clears throat> Is he going to listen to how you womanize people and how you live that life? Or do some kind of dance, whatever? You're going to listen to that and be like, yeah, this is exactly what I was hoping you'd be listening to. Or is he going to say, you know what, there's, there's some good songs on the radio. And they're, they're about me. And they might throw you closer to me. Let's trust the process. 
process is going to lead you in each step of the way closer to Him with others, within yourself, with doctrine, and with what you do for entertainment, what you set your eyes and heart on. It's going to draw you closer and closer to Him in that progression. And if you'll trust Him, and you'll trust the process, and you'll be obedient in the little things, He's going to see it through you. And see it through in you. You work it out and you join Him on mission in your life and around you. And I promise you, you'll find joy in that.